Hiya. Welcome to the Christian Sport Podcast. I'm Graham Daniels, and my guest today has played at international level for her country at badminton, hockey, and cricket, has captained her country in the World Cup final at cricket, would have played in the Olympics at hockey, but uh, GB pulled out in 1980 in Moscow, so she didn't. But no worries, because she went on to coach at hockey at two Olympics. She coached England cricket, and she's now performance director of English lacrosse, 25 years at the top level of coaching and a full international career in two major sports. Oh, and by the way, listen out for two outrageous stories. Coaching hockey in Iran and not really being allowed to walk through the long room at Lord's. Outrageous. My guest today on the Christian Sport podcast is Jane Powell. This is the Christians in Sport podcast with Graham Daniels. Jane, here's the deal, right? Uh, I'm looking at your CV as a player. I know it's not exactly right to the month, but badminton 73, 74, you're a youngster. Then hockey 75 through 81. Then cricket 82 through 91. All international level performance from being a kid. Right yeah. through to performance. How on earth did you make decisions, especially as a youngster, to drop one sport because you had to play another? I think actually I never dropped sport. I think I just kept going with the sports as I went through. And the sport, the sport, I wouldn't say it dropped me, but priorities seemed to come on board. So that um, I, I, you're quite right, I played hockey and I, I then played cricket. And because we went on a winter tour with cricket, then hockey sort of thought I'd made the decision I wasn't playing hockey anymore. But actually, I played better hockey after I'd, I'd gone on the winter tour for cricket than what I did when I'd been selected earlier. So it was a question of just keep muddling my way through, really. I just love playing sport. So whatever sport came along, I was going to play it. Um, as a youngster, it meant that I could get out of school lessons. So that was the best thing for me. I could go and play sport. What better thing to do when you go to school? So that's why uh, I played different ones. One thing that I noticed when I do see your CV, uh, and I'm only going to do it once, otherwise you'll take the whole interview <laughs> to talk about it. On every aspect of your CV as a coach and a player, I see the first line says Yorkshire. So Yorkshire, Yorkshire, school in Yorkshire. 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 It's still there. Yeah, it is still there because, you know, that's my, uh, it, that's where I grew up. That's where I started doing all my sports. That's where me and my twin sister, you know, you've got to remember, you know, I'm a great believer that I'm competitive because I'm a twin. Because, you know, when you're first born, who's going to get fed first? So you're competitive right from the start. So, yeah, we, we just loved, I just loved playing for Yorkshire, you know. When Yorkshire was strong at cricket, England was strong. That was the phrase when I was growing up. So, you know, it made, it made an impact on me that Yorkshire was worth playing for. You won, um, you're in the national championship team as a youngster for Yorkshire in badminton. Yep. But you, you were Yorkshire champion. Yeah. Did, how long did you play badminton for? Did you keep um, going or, or did you have to drop it because of the hockey and uh, cricket yeah. combination? I, I played really at school uh, and then um, gave it up because of hockey and cricket. I think I, 
it, cricket's a fascinating game because it's a team game, but you're an individual playing in a team game. And I like that team teaminess about hockey and cricket that in some ways badminton didn't give you. You had very individual players at badminton who weren't really interested in the team. Yeah, you know, They just wanted to play. So you made the right decision because you spent... 25 years coaching team sports yeah. uh, and playing internationally for a good number of other yeah. years before that. Um, obviously, you realise very young, you're a twin, your sister's a really good player and ends up a top player as well, of course. So, so you realise you're very good at sport. Did you dream big dreams once you started realising that you were likely to be very good county and oh, national yeah. level. Yeah, I think, you know, you have a dream right from the, you know, young age, don't you? And sometimes life kicks those dreams out of you. But I always dreamt that I would be uh, representing my country, always dreamt that I would be walking out to bat or scoring the winning goal or, you know, it was always a dream that I was on that stage and always performing at the highest level really and um, just yeah I, as a I can remember as a 15 year old walking up there up the road from school and saying I just want to have an influence uh, in British sport I just want to be that person who has a an influence in British sport you've coached so many youngsters and I'd like to come back to this later on because there's something about it, isn't there but let me just pick up on it for a fraction now actually the dream that a child has at 15 or 13 or these days six and seven in yeah, some sports absolutely they dream this dream your dream wasn't crushed it, really because you went on in multiple ways to play for your country in your own coaching i'm jumping the gun but in your own coaching of youngsters you've done development with under 14s you've you've run a lot of national under 18s teams in all yep. disciplines how do you manage that tender tender thing that can get crushed when they're not going to be good enough you know you say that you know my dream wasn't crushed it took me I was 12th man for England 21 times before I played so I could have given up 21 times 21 times I could have given up and and that's what I tell youngsters when I'm working with them um throughout whichever sport saying you know you might not get it the first time but if you really want it just keep going just keep doing what you believe I always say you know if God's gifted you just keep going with what you believe is gifted you so if you've got a talent use it to the full you know you've been 12th man yep 21 yeah. times yeah can you remember the moment you knew you weren't 12th man you were in the 11th well yeah it's interesting because um, I did play a couple of games, but the time when I really made the biggest difference was I'd been 12th man for the first test against India in 86, uh, I think it was. And um, and then Jeanette Britton, a very, very good player, broke a thumb. She was a number three bat. So I was brought in for the second test. And I was just like, yes, I've got a chance. I'm in there. I'm out there batting. And um, I went out in the first innings quite early. And I ended up with 115 not out. You know, and I can remember as I hit, I can still remember the shot off my back foot through the covers for four for 100. And I can remember lifting my bat and going, I bet you don't can't drop me now. <laughs> <laughs> I was just waving it towards the selectors going, now what are you going to do? <laughs> so it was just great, you know, and that's that's how it worked out. You know, I had an opportunity and, you know, I took it, really. 
Well, you certainly did. It's well over a hundred times in, in mm. all that period. What what was the what was the highlight of those uh, significant years? Uh, nine years playing for England, captaining. Yeah, I think you know you've already mentioned it. You know, captaining your country in a World Cup wow. final at the MCG in Australia. It, it doesn't get much better than that other than we could have won it and we lost it, you know. But other than that, you know, that's got to be... You, you can't go any higher in your own country uh, or in world cricket other than winning the winning the match. And uh, I just was so proud, really, to walk out there. I know my, my dad, who was a, a local league cricketer, was just, you know, very proud of that moment as well. So that was the highlight. Can you picture it now? Yeah. Talk about walk, walking the team yeah. out. Talk us through it. Um, massive ground, massive, massive, with a lot of history, you know. Different to Lords, because that was another important one, but um, that was a bizarre one at Lords, and I'll tell you about it shortly. But um, just walking down the steps, and there must have, it felt like there was 300 steps. It was about 30 steps down onto the pitch. And walking out there and just knowing that this was a World Cup final, that this was the best in the world was just, you know, it just brings up the hairs on the back of your mm. neck. It was one of those moments that you just think, wow, I'm so blessed to be out here. I'm so, you know, I c this was a dream that was realized that there I was leaving out my country. It was just electric. You mentioned your dad there, and I know he was a huge, huge influence on your life and yep. your career and a great father to you. You've lost him now and, yep. a, and a great influence on you. Was he at the game? For the no, World he Cup wasn't. Final? No, he so, wasn't. So tell me about your chats with him around that final. It was interesting because I used to chat to him about field placings mm. and going, you know, we've got this off spinner and, you know, she she turns it a lot, you know, so do I need to put my fielders squarer or do I put them finer? Am I playing for a bad shot or am I playing for a good ball? What am I what am I setting my field for? And we used to discuss, you know, they need to be playing in the V and you need to make sure that you've got... In women's cricket, you need them squarer rather than finer because you don't have the speed that the men's game have. And just all little things like that, you know. I frequently say, always oh, just turn one round corner, you know. <laughs> Yorkshire so uh you know just making sure that we uh, I had his confidence in me to do that role as well you know so it was just we took the game yeah isn't that great to yeah. be England captain and you're having <laughs> a quick chat with your dad on field placements <laughs> what a great father D tell me the idiosyncrasies of Lords you, you said uh, well, yeah Lord's when we played at Lords you know that was very much in the early days and that was before women were MCC members so uh, if you've been to Lords and played at Lords and had that privilege you the changing rooms are up on the first floor uh, and you come down the carpeted staircase through the long room and out onto the field to bat except women weren't allowed in the long room at that time so the day before they were timing us walking down the stairs which were carpeted. And then there's another set of stairs which go down into the, out of the back of the pavilion, but they're stone steps and you've got your spikes on. So you couldn't run down those. You had to go quite gingerly down those, round the back of the pavilion and onto the field of play. So they were timing to see if we could do that in the time allocated because as all cricket fans know, there's a, you can be timed out in cricket. So if you don't get out onto the field of play within three minutes, that's it, you're out before you've even got out there. So we were trying to do this the day before and none of us could really do it. We, it was very close to the three minutes 
and too dodgy to even be considered. So they did relent and let us walk through the long room. But I can remember walking through the long room and some of the old gentlemen in there, who it must have been a real <laughs> shock to, all going... Oh, my word. No, never in my day did I think I'd see a woman in the long room. You know, and you think, oh, I'm oh, going out to bat for my country, oh. for your country. And this is, you it's know. 1980s. Just think it's that yeah. recently, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. My word. Thank yeah. goodness you pioneered, Jane. <laughs> Thank goodness you pioneered the change. Mm. Now, this is the Christians in Sport podcast. And as we try and re really do our best to relate being a follower of Jesus Christ with a top-level competitive sports woman, coach. T tell me a bit about uh, this development of your life and your faith. W where does all that fit in and where did it come from? Yeah, I mean, I'd been to uh, church as a kid. Mum and Dad had encouraged us to go to Sunday school and um, uh, I went to Sunday school um, most weeks. Um, there's a funny story there because got banned from Sunday school sports because won every event, you know. So it was uh, one of those uh, amusing things. But then because I'd done so well there, I went to an athletics club and that happened to me on a Sunday. So that stopped Sunday school. So I didn't really think about God and what what place. I always believed in God, I think. You know, it wasn't that I didn't believe. Um, but then I went down to PE college, down to Chelsea PE college. And there's a group of... Uh, Christians there who were praying for me. I was hockey captain and cricket captain at PE college. That's like the revered positions, like head boy, head girl, mm. I guess, at, at school. And, um, you know, it was there that my twin sister became a Christian before me and said she'd she'd found a new friend and this friend was Jesus. So I thought I'd explore it to check it was all right for her because I'm an hour older, so I needed to look out for her. So I explored it because of her, really. Were you a bit worried for her when she said that? Where was she at college? Uh, she was at Dartford PE College. Okay, so you're in Eastbourne, and Chelsea, I was at Chelsea College Chelsea in Eastbourne. PE, PE College in Eastbourne. Um, not, not worried for her, but just wanted to check it wasn't a cult, because there was a lot of cults going on at that time of, mm. of uh, society, you know, the, um, various ones around. So I just thought I'd check it out, and... You know, I was on teaching practice. I remember asking my landlady for a, a Bible and she she must have thought that I was having a real tough time <laughs> with all these youngsters. But, uh, you know, and I realized that, you know, not only was he relevant to my sister, but he was relevant to me. So, you know, these friends at college supported me through that. And, you know, if it wasn't for them helping me to see what the truth was, then who knows? But I mean, that's over 40 odd years ago now. You know, and God's been so faithful all the way through. And I think for me, it, it made a massive difference because up until that stage, I felt that my status was how good was I at sport? How good was I? Was I recognized as hockey captain? Was I recognized as cricket captain? Was I an international player? And it was just that continual striving. And it was great to know that once I met Jesus, that actually I'm a child of God, you know, and that's not dependent on whether I'm successful, whether I win, whether I lose. I'm a child of God every single day of, of what I'm doing. And suddenly it took all that pressure of the sport off. And then I could just express my sport because I knew it gave him pleasure. You know, there's that great one, isn't there, in Chariots of Fire, where Eric Little says, you know, uh, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. And that's basically where I came from too, that, you know, when I hit a ball, when I threw a ball, then I knew that I was ex exploring the talent God had given me to the full and really enjoying it. 
you've worked with a lot of youngsters, as I mentioned earlier, and certainly even today, as you work in lacrosse, you help with Christians in sport, uh, leading the coaches and the coaching on our summer camps at Sports Plus. It must be a great joy to you that for all these years, since you have been a Christian, uh, seeing very good young women and young men who are athletes, getting what you just described, that your your identity isn't in how well you've played, however competitive you are, but that God does love you. It yeah. must be a great joy to oh, keep passing that on. Massive. You know, you sort of, as, a, as you go through life, you look at the people above you who've inspired you and led you on. And then people don't realize that once you become that person, the the people who you are helping to fulfill their God-given plan, that inspires you, you know. So it, it's, it's, it's a strange old situation because people always elevate you once you've got to a certain position. But actually, you'll, the people who are elevating you, you're looking at them and going, go on. One, you can do it, you know, you know, such a great cloud of witnesses, isn't it? You know, just cheering you, you on. And I th- I see that so often now, you know, as you get older, you start to reflect a bit more and you just see uh, young people who've come through and you think, yeah, go on, mm. go on, go on, you can do it. Well, well I think, Jane, that, that's what I do love about doing the Christians in Sport podcast, that we, we don't take youngsters in the midst of their career. We try and protect them. Mm. We actually make the podcast with people who've done that and have got the T-shirt to help inspire that newer generation of athletes who are working through yeah. or thinking about becoming a Christian. That helps me go on to the ultimate part, really, of our conversation today, which is specifically on your coaching. We could have made two podcasts, one on playing and one on coaching easily. You've been on the leading edge of sports coaching and indeed as a PE teacher whilst coaching for the first half of your career, but certainly coaching for 25 years, leading edge. And and I know uh, it's around 2002 that the Independent identified you as one of the top 10 sports coaches in the UK because of the influence you had and continue to have to this day. Let me pin down, first of all, your best moment in coaching, because I'm imagining that when England hockey withdrew from the 1980 Olympics, that would have been your chance to be an Olympian. You might have thought that chance had passed you by, but coaching gave you the opportunity. Talk us through what happened there. Yeah, that was an interesting one because... Uh, 1980 was a key year. Russia invaded Afghanistan and individual sports had to make a choice whether they went to the Moscow 1980 Olympics and hockey chose not to go. Um, I always find it phenomenal, you know, sort of interesting in a way that um, there was a young man called Sebastian Coe who went to the 1980 Olympics and we were in the same class at school. And you look at what happened. He was very successful there and we didn't go. And it's just like, wow. Could that have been the springboard, you know, but who knows? Um, Zimbabwe won the Olympic gold medal for hockey. That's a good old Trivial Pursuits question. We went out to play them the following year and uh, we beat them 3-0. And I scored all three goals. Oh. But at the end of the day, they've got the Olympic gold medal, you know, and it it, it was always, I'm not a, a regretful person. You know, I'm a great believer that what what happens each day is a gift from God and whether it's good or bad, 
you still got we've still got life haven't we we've still got so much to be grateful for so i didn't look back with regret but i just thought that was my chance that was it that was the only chance i had of olympics because then i went into cricket and obviously cricket wasn't in the olympics but of the way god planned my life uh, you know some what was it 30 odd years later you know i'm now working for england hockey and I'm working as head of coaching and suddenly I've got a Beijing Olympics and not only that, but a home Olympics, London 2012, where I'm head of coaching and I'm overseeing um, all the coaching that's going on with our men's and our women's team at London. And it was just like, thank you, God. Not only did, you know, he often gives you back more than what you what is taken away. Well, it's a phenomenal story because you think as a as a British international sportswoman or sportsman if there was one place you might choose in your whole lifetime to be would be in london yeah for our own olympics, olympics. yeah and you're there as performance director of all hockey head of coaching head of yeah. coaching excuse me yeah head of coaching for all gb yeah hockey which is phenomenal was it a great games to be part of oh it was it was immense you know you were was that olympic park early morning, six o'clock every morning, not leaving till 10, half past 10 every night. But you just were on a roll, you know, it was just, and we played well, you know, make no mistake. In interestingly, you know, everybody talks about the women's squad, but the men lost less games. But unfortunately, they lost a big one. And that's the only one everybody remembers when they got thumped by uh, Holland 9-1. But, you know, the... When I joined England hockey, the men uh, the men were ranked 13th in the world. The women were ranked 11th in the world. When I left them, uh, we'd got an Olympic bronze medal and we'd finished fourth with the men in the Olympics. So to have that rise in seven, eight years is phenomenal in international sport. You don't jump nine places uh, in any any uh, sport, especially not towards the top not so quickly. Not at the quickly. top end of the ladder, no. you certainly don't. This is why your career, this is why the interview for me is so fascinating, that you're navigating, you're coaching England hockey, 91 through 98, in a range of ages and, and yep. backgrounds. Uh, then cricket, 98-05, where you're 19's assistant head, then head coach. Yeah. Then, and, and this captured my imagination, after combining your playing career and your coaching career with being a PE teacher and... Mm a very well-known PE teacher for the cutting-edge thinking that you were doing, I guess because of your integration with international sport, you go full-time as a coach. Risky? Yes, I think it can be. You know, uh, interesting, I, I was 25 years as a PE teacher or 23 years because the last two years I was head of sixth form. You know, and I was used to walk around the computer room that sixth form uh, areas become and thinking, what am I doing here? God made me for sport. Why am I wandering around a computer room? You know, it was very alien to me. Um, and in those two years, every morning I go, God, what is this all about? Uh, I'll stick at it, but I'm sure you made me for sport. Why am I in a computer room? So after two years of that, I felt that God said, you know, now's the time. So I literally gave him my notice, not knowing what I was going to do. I was a level four cricket coach and I was a level four hockey coach. And if it backfired, I could always go back to teaching. So it wasn't as risky as it could have been. But yes, it was a risk. I could have 
uh, easily sat out my retirement in in teaching. You know, I, I knew enough to to get through that, but that's not what God created me to do. Well, that's not Jane Powell. <laughs> no. we, we can see that, that's for sure. Now, I, I, I won't stop at the fact that you went to India to coach cricket in, in 2005, just on the cusp of this period and decision-making. Yep. But I am going to dive into you going to Iran to coach <laughs> hockey in 06. So you've left teaching. You end up in Iran coaching hockey. Now, that's slightly unusual, Jane. How Very unusual. I, I kept receiving an email saying, we'd like you to come and coach the Iran national women's hockey team. And I was like, Iran? This was in the days where we didn't know what nuclear weapons or anything that was going on in Iran. So I was a bit nervous of that one. So I kept saying, sorry, I can't make that date. So this went on for about four emails. And the fifth email came and it said, please tell us what dates you can do. So I thought, oh, well, I'm going to have to go. So I gave them a time slot and I had my uh, visa came through within two days, which if you try and get a visa to go to Iran, it's impossible. So I jump on a plane a funny story there because mom rang me as I was leaving and I'd not mentioned it for obvious reasons that she'd worry and she said oh where are you what are you up to today so I said oh mom I'm just off to Birmingham <laughs> which I was I was going to the airport and I'm on a hockey camp for the next three weeks I don't think the signal's very good so I probably won't be able to call you but I'll call you as soon as I get back and that was it that was the message I gave her I mean she tells a funny story about she thought I was at Lillishall or something <laughs> like that you know so where were uh, you Tehran or yeah somewhere? Tehran <laughs> so I fly into Tehran and and I had to cover my hair yeah. had to wear long sleeves long mm long um, literally cover everything because mm -hmm. rules of the country and I can remember getting off the plane and going jeepers what have I done what have I done there was guns everywhere you know and I said yeah, father if you're here if this is part of your plan you're gonna have to show me now and if you take into account that they'd been sending me emails for the last two three months so they knew that my name was Jane Powell uh, and there was this person standing with a notepad up there saying Jane Power. Uh, you know, and it, to me, it was an answer to prayer. It was God saying, I'm the power here. You just step out with me. And it did make me laugh, actually. So, yeah. So I spent three weeks out there coaching the Iran women's hockey team. Was it remarkable? Uh, do you know, the girls are just the same as the girls uh, over here. You yeah. know, just the same. When we were in closed rooms, they were there with their vests and shorts mm. on but as soon as any man came on the scenes mm. everything had to be covered you know mm. so it was just but players are players are players players are players the same everywhere over. in the yeah, world absolutely that's what's great isn't yeah. it yeah that's what's great yeah isn't no it? it's fantastic and some good players as well you know i felt sorry because they'd had to play dressed in too many clothes really mm. you know most of sport these days is played in very hot mm. conditions and mm. there they were mm. covered everywhere mm. and that's been a debate yeah. Even to the last Olympics, hasn't it? But what? they were great, great bunch of girls. Oh, fantastic. Well, I think that draws us nicely towards our, our last lap of our conversation, Jane, which is, you've mentioned earlier, and of course I, I would never mention a, an elite athlete uh, athlete's age, but you have <laughs> said a, at least once, this is 40 years since yeah. you came to a Christian faith and were, as an undergraduate, establishing yourself on a national level senior sports in cricket and hockey um been quite a journey inevitable highs and lows of elite sport and life 
how is your faith really applied to your sport? You know, if you had to choose, what is the key principle that's walked you through these 40 years as a Christian sportswoman at the highest level? I think, you know, I've lived my life really knowing that if you're a Christian, you should live an excellent life. Everything should be done with excellence because we're doing it to, for God. We're not doing it for man. We're not doing it for coaches. We're doing it to say, thank you because you've given me these abilities and I want to give them back to you and I want to be the best I can be because of what you've given me. So I would say that whatever I've done, I've done it to the best of my ability and push myself to glorify God, really, because he's he's the one who's given me all all that I've had. The journey's been fantastic. You know, we sit here with a, a picture of the, the world up there, you know, and I think even this summer I've been Australia, Canada, Hungary, United States, and I'm off to Poland next week, you know, and I just think, wow, what other... What other job would have given me that opportunity to travel the world and just meet so many different people? You know, it's just been a phenomenal experience. With regard to being a coach, Jane, then, as a Christian, a committed Christian, were there principles? Is there a principle that you applied to the way you approached your role as a coach that would be distinctive? Yeah, yeah, I think so. You know, integrity has been really important to me as a Christian because I'm always aware that um, I might be the only, isn't there that saying, you know, you might be the only Bible some people read. So, you know, it's been one of those really where if I'm the role model that they see as Christian and I'm carrying Christ's name because Christian means that I carry his name, am I worthy of that title? So would I would I have enough evidence to convict me if the players uh, were to be speaking about me in the pub or in the clubhouse after the game? So integrity is really important. When I first played, I can remember one of the coaches asking me when I was doing a hit from the left-hand side of the field to the right to look like I was going to play at reverse stick and then at the last minute just use the back of your stick. Nobody will be able to spot it. It will be so quick. And I said, but you can't do that. That's That's not... That's not right. That's breaking the rules. And I can remember them saying to me, well, if you come next to the next training session and you can't do it, you're out of the squad. So I can remember going home and practicing and practicing and practicing, doing it legally so that when I went back the following uh, time, I did hit it and I did hit it well and I stayed in the squad. But, you know, it was really important to me to, it would have been so easy to cave in and just go, I want to stay in the squad. But actually representing Christ was mo- the most important thing to me and knowing that I had the ability to do that, really. All of us who've coached at all n- know that we don't want people to feel they have to sort of line up with us in our Christian faith because they've got to keep us sweet. And yet you want to show yeah. or, or be willing, able to verbalize something about your faith. How did you structure life so that it was easy to have a conversation about being a Christian without people feeling awkward? You know, as I got older, I realized that I couldn't split my faith from my myself. That was who I was. So I used to wear a WWJD bracelet when I was coaching England cricket. What would Jesus do? do? And I can remember we got thumped by Australia. (laughs) And I can remember the players coming back into the changing room and going, so what would he do then? <laughs> and I was like, and I was a bit sort of, I hadn't got a clue what they were talking about at first. And the, and I went, pardon? And they went, that blinking bracelet, what would he do then? We've just lost. And I said, 
I think he'd probably just say, good effort. You just need to work harder. You need to work on this and you need to work on that. And with that, the players went, all right then, come on, let's go out and do it then. So we went out and under practice because we finished the game. It was a test match, so we had a half a day to spare. And we finished early, so they were quite happy that that's what he would have, you know, said. And we went out and we practiced. So, you know, I think there gives an example of the players accepted that that was part of who I was. I'm assuming that English lacrosse is on the up now that you've been performance director since 2013. I'm right, aren't I? We're doing well. We're doing well. This last, in fact, two weekends ago, our women's team beat Canada and it's the first time we've beaten Canada. So, and we beat Australia in the summer. So we've beaten the second and third ranked in the world. And we were actually beating USA up till half time when we played them, which nobody has done for some considerable time. And we've got the World Cup next year. So everything's moving in the right direction. Watch this space. That's an <laughs> I record with this woman's track record. Well, Jane Powell uh, received a Doctor of Science from the University of Worcester uh, very recently for her services to British sport. And all I can say at the end of this podcast, Jane, which has been an absolute delight. We've known each other a long time. <laughs> yeah. But it's such a delight that I'm getting the chance to chat to you so that others can really benefit from what God has done through you and continues to do. You have been uh, not just uh, somebody who's brought services to British sport, but somebody who's brought great services to God's work in sport. You're a joy. Privileged to meet you. Jane Powell, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Good. We're done. That was a class Christians in Sport podcast. If you want to know any more, this is all you have to do. Go to christiansinsport.org.uk for more information. Check out the name on social media and you'll find plenty of info there. And finally, please don't forget this. If you go to iTunes and comment on this podcast, it just means more people get to know about it and it means that we can help more people think about the application of the Christian faith to the world of sport. Great having your company. Really look forward to next time. Go well.